Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of the Driven Chat Podcast. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. So hello, hello. John Marco here from the Driven Chat Podcast. I am one of your three usual hosts alongside my good friends Andy Jay and Amy Shaw who bring you this great automotive podcast each week. But as I mentioned, this is a bonus episode. This is a little bit different to what we usually do. Firstly, because it's not coming out early on a Monday morning or a weekend when we usually schedule these. Uh, It's coming on a Thursday. And the whole purpose of this episode is to bring you a little highlight reel from... Something else that we do. Now, a lot of you listening will already be aware that alongside our fantastic podcast that goes out each week and our fantastic social media feeds at Driven Chat and our fantastic YouTube channel, if you just search for Driven Chat on YouTube, we also have a radio show, an actual radio show. Same name, very similar format, but altogether a very different overall show. And that goes out every single Sunday evening here in the UK on DAB Radio, and that goes out on Talk Radio. That's the station that we use. Now, I know that the vast majority of our listeners are UK-based, and you may be aware of Talk Radio. You may be one of the many, many, many hundreds of thousands of listeners that tune into that show each week, but I also know that we have a lot of listeners, many thousands of listeners who are outside the UK. So what we thought we would do not only for those listeners that are outside the UK, but also because we know that not everyone can tune into a radio show or a radio station at a certain time on a certain evening. We wanted to give you just a little highlight reel just to remind people that, hey, if you do fancy listening to the radio at 7pm on a Sunday, you can tune in. And if you are one of those many thousands of people that listen from elsewhere in the world, you too can tune in. You can go to the Talk Radio website if you just search for Talk Radio in your preferred search engine. And you can listen as the episode goes out as live from 7pm UK time on a Sunday. Or there is also the facility to listen again. So if you find the bit on the website that shows a schedule, there's a little drop down heading to Sunday. And you'll see there from 7pm, it's... uh, Driven Chat on Talk Radio. Now, as I say, it's the same team. It's myself, it's Andy, it's Amy, and of course, it's our fabulous friend, Mike Brewer, that puts together that radio show. Uh, But ultimately, we know that it's a very, very different audience, so we wanted to give you a little highlight of what you can hear. So, here is, in this today, a bonus episode, three segments from our radio show, not from the same show, we've just picked three that we thought you might want to listen to. The first one is Quentin Wilson, a very, very highly esteemed motoring journalist. We did record a podcast with Quentin a few months back, so you can go back and listen to that. But of course, this is going to be a conversation. If you don't listen to the radio show, this will be a conversation you have not yet heard. Following Quentin, it's another pioneer of the automotive industry and a comedy actor. It's a chap called Robert Llewellyn, who is now pioneering the world of EVs, electric vehicles. And then we're going to wrap it up, of course, with who else than the main man, Mike Brewer, from one of our third segments of the radio show that goes out on a Sunday. So these are just little snippets. We really hope you enjoy them. We'd love to get your feedback on them. Don't know how often we're going to do this. What I do know is we are also going to bring you two episodes of the Driven Chat podcast next week as well. So there is going to be an episode going out on Monday. That's going to be with a very good friend of mine, Miles Lacey, who is a racing driver for Praga Cars, and the story on how he has got to where he is now as a driver for Praga is incredible. So do listen out for that. That episode is going to be landing over the weekend or early part of next week. And then later in the week, we will have a bonus episode, which is going to be effectively a full show pull of this weekend's radio show where Andy went down and sat with Mike Brewer and Mark Elvis Priestley, who is the new mechanic on Wheeler Dealers, and that, of course, is celebrating the launch of the latest series of Wheeler Dealers. 
So if you want to be one of the first people to hear that, you can tune in and listen to that this coming Sunday, 7 p.m. I appreciate this is only really relevant for people listening in real time. If you're listening in the future, then hey, don't worry. It's going to be the episode after next. You'll be able to hear it too, because Thursday next week, we will bring you that full conversation, that full radio show without the adverts, without the breaks. It's just going to be Andy, Mike and Elvis talking about that new season. So Thank you very much for, once again, tuning into this. I hope you enjoyed this little bonus episode. I will hand you over now to the voice of Quentin Wilson. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Well, hello there. Welcome to Driven Chat here on Talk Radio. We are sat inside the Driven Chat truck, parked up, as always, at Caffeine and Machine. I'm Andy J, alongside our automotive expert, my partner in crime, Mr. John Markar. Hey, John. Hello there. John, what a show we have for you today. Indeed. Automotive legends to the power of three. <laughs> On the show this week, I am we're literally sitting with greatness, John. On the show this week, we have Mike Brewer, James May, and the man who sat with us right now, Mr. Quentin Wilson. How are you doing, Quentin? <laughs> really, really well. Though. Let's just, just be clear about this. I'm lucky enough to live uh, down the road from Cabin and Machine. And so I came up here with, with the family for lunch and the dog um, and the sun's shining and, and here you are. So it would be churlish not to kind of, you know, get involved. And that's the great thing about Caffeine and Machine is that it is just so accessible, welcoming, friendly, no hierarchy. And you come up and things like this happen. It's magic. I love it. I mean, Quentin, obviously, the second I spotted you, it was like, oh, the truck's there. What do you think? Can we, can we have a look? Because you and I go way back and we posted we things together. We and it's and we've, we had you on the podcast previously as well we, we had the most yeah, brilliant yeah, conversation yeah, yeah. but there is something about this place isn't there and i noticed the second you got out of your beautiful beautiful convert am i allowed to say what it is do you mind yeah, the listeners course, now? Of course. unbelievable convertible mustang just that that pops properly in the sunshine by the way it's uh it's that it's just the right red isn't it it's 64 that, and a half um rangoon red uh mustang convertible you it would have a yes yeah, the you proper know. name red it's the proper that's the red that you need in this yeah, sunshine yeah and there's an event happening here. Within seconds, you've got your keys to something else. Well, that's it. another thing about Caffeine and Machine is that, that there was a, a launch up here of, of, of new Hyundai's or Hyundai's, as they call them in the States. And there's an Ionic 5, which is um, an almost brand new electric car that Hyundai have just brought out. And it's the first one on the press, press fleet. So here I am, uh, you know, having a lovely time, lovely lunch. With, with, with friends, and there's a road test car which is going to be available before anybody else. So I took it out and drove it, and it was actually great. Really, really, really good. Nice, welcoming, wrap-round, friendly electric car that you acclimatise yourself to in about four or five minutes. I've got a Tesla uh, Model 3, so it's it's a great benchmark because it's about the same 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 price point. Ionic, uh, Ionic um, 5, about £41,000, range 250 miles, um, really nice, nice car. And the, I mean, the thing I've got to ask about that when we talk about this, the range, two hundred fifty miles sounds great. Do you really get two hundred fifty miles out of it? Yeah, I mean, I haven't driven that to running out, but to, you take my Tesla, it it's about two. So you, they say three twenty, three thirty. Real life range is two seventy. So the fraction with electric cars is that. The figure you get from from the manufacturers and the government, WLTP, deduct thirty percent, and that's your real right. life range because okay. everybody drives differently. Yeah. So, so it, it will be less than they say. So, never buy an electric car without making that calculation that it will be thirty percent less than they quote in real life driving. But better still, go and drive the thing. Have it for a twenty four test drive, which is what people do now. So yes. you can you can get an idea of range. I think that's really sensible. And and actually while we're talking electric, you're gonna know the answers to this, Quentin. Apologies if I'm putting you on the spot here. But I was put on the spot myself by my father in law <laughs> just yesterday who'd been reading the Sundays and someone had been writing in about their reservations about EVs. And of course, we've all talked about the infrastructure not being quite ready yet and all of that sort of stuff. But this guy's concern was the weight of an EV. And this is where I wasn't entirely sure. He was saying that when an EV breaks down, they're so heavy, you can't just mm. get a normal winch out the boot to change the tyre, for example. Is, is that right? Because I wasn't sure that was correct. No, it's, it's not. I mean, something like a Tesla Model X, which is the, the big boy of, of EVs, is over two tonnes. Uh, but then so so is a Bentley, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. um, and, and you don't have to have special tow trucks or special jacks or stuff like that. They, they are heavier because of all that battery. Um, but in terms of jacking it up, you don't do that. You put tyre sealant in. Right. Most electric cars, like 
a lot of modernized cars don't have jacks or spares. They just right. have the the, the the stuff you spray in. So there's not there's not the danger of da- damaging the chassis or anything. This whole article was about there's a whole load of things you can go that can go wrong if if an EV breaks down. It's not just that you can't push it because the electric motor won't allow you to push it. That's true. You have to be careful about jacking it up. With, for instance, a Tesla, you have to have you know where the jacking points are, and it's good to have a little plastic kind of pad that stops you you wrecking the battery. So, But that's all in the handbook, or your AA guy is going to know this. I mean, most people don't change the wheels on their cars. They just um, sit by the hard shoulder and wait for the breakdown truck to come. So what's interesting, you mentioned this, Andy, but there has been a real pushback over the last few weeks, and I've just written something on, on LinkedIn about it, about real invective about electric cars. Everything you can think of, from kids going down mines in the the DRC, to they make more particulates from tyres because they're heavy, that, you know, they depreciate fast, that you're going to need a new battery in 5,000 miles and it's going to cost £10,000. And all this stuff that we've been hearing for the last 10 years, which is now just being reheated. And I'm I'm kind of posing the question, where has this come from? You know, is it the, 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 the oil majors? Is it the trad car companies who are kind of lobbying for this. But I used to, as you know, Fair Fuel, I, I, I promoted that for 10 years and saved 100 and, 110 billion in fuel duty. I've left that now because I don't agree um, that, that they've got the right environmental sensibilities and, and doing electric cars, you can't also promote fuel use. So I, I had to make that, that, that conscious decision. But they've just published a report which just is so anti, anti-electric car, it's unbelievable. Mm. And I just think, look, come on, we've just had the UN climate report saying that, you know, this is unambiguous. We are causing all this, 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 this climate change. We know we've got air quality problems in our towns and cities. Let's get off this we hate EV bandwagon and start to just adjust and say, look, they are part of the future. Yeah. This is going to mm. happen. And they work. Yes, yeah. yes, it's very interesting. You're, you're talking about the report that has just dropped, yeah. which everyone is acutely aware of. We have overheated this planet yeah. and yeah. we need to fix it. Yeah. And what was really interesting is there were a couple of key commentators that made a very savvy point very early on, which is now this report is out and you can't argue against it. Just wait for the negative campaign, the mm. campaign saying that it's nonsense. There will be big businesses putting big yeah. money behind a yeah. campaign that, that people will fall for trying to say that's not true it's, it's like the anti-vaxxers yes and it, it's got so much traction on social media that i'm beginning to say to myself whoa because as you know i've been promoting electric cars since 2009 when i was driving around in a silly little citroen c0 yes. 50 miles to one charge freezing cold because you couldn't use the heater but people didn't go for them like they are going for them now and it's kind of this shift in the tectonic plates that, that's got me worried that it is being financed by either big oil or, 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 mm. or car companies. And, and don't forget, you know, Biden has, has ticked the box and said, right, mm. by 2035, we are going to reduce our CO2 from, from cars and, and yeah. do electric. So it's a really interesting situation right now. And, and I'd like to know why. You're so right. I mean, I don't want us to be all conspiracy theory, but it's, it's true that the swathes of publicity and the way that the, the kind of momentum is being generated for anti-EV, etc. That's not coming from just one person with a Facebook page. So you two are seeing it as well? Oh, yeah. I, absolutely. I mean, at least we forget the predecessor of Biden categorically flat out refused to believe that climate change was a thing. There was no such thing as global warming when he's got offices of scientists saying, no, Donald, it's here and here, here's the evidence. Here is the graph. Um, I think I, I personally think people, us, Joe Public, we often just don't like change. We're very set in our ways, with, but we know how petrol works. We know how cars work. We, for years, my, my father and his father and his father before then all drove pe- petrol cars, and now I'm expected to do it differently. I think it, it, there's a lot of apprehension. There's a lot of fear. People ultimately don't like change and there will always be people that lobby to find an excuse to keep things the way that they're familiar with them. That's fine. Mm. But when it starts to be an orchestrated campaign yes, where you see the same things occurring again and again and again, you begin to think, okay, where is this coming from? Who is who is yeah. this? Yes, it's, it's a bit of a peculiar one. Yeah. Can I ask you a couple of questions that I think the listeners will be 
curious about because you're perfectly placed, Quentin. No one, in fact, there's probably no one better to answer this. And this is one of the things that has been lobbied against EVs is the cost to buy into them. And, and the premium EVs are very expensive, staggeringly expensive, and people get scared of that. There is, of course, now, which is a new thing, there is now a second-hand market yeah. for EVs, which yeah. is actually very yeah, recent. Yeah. There hasn't been prior to that because mm. it is too new. Now there is a second-hand market. And more often than not, that is people trading in reasonably new EVs for even newer EVs. Mm. Is it safe to buy, for example, oh, yeah. a five-year-old, ten-year-old Tesla with 80,000 miles on the battery? Can you still get good life out of those batteries? That's a great question, Andy. I think the first thing to say is that the value, second-hand values of EVs are going up. So uh, I bought my Tesla in 2020. Um, if I sold it now, I would get almost what I paid for it because wow. Tesla's sold out to quarter yes. three. Yes, You know, it's it nuts is. and you can't get yeah. them. And then you've got the semiconductor crisis. But you're also seeing even the little Gen 1 Nissan Leaf 30 kilowatt making 12 grand yeah. for 2015, which is close to what it costs new. I mean, there's a real demand. I, I had a Leaf, ran it for three years, um, and I think I lost 200 quid on it. Wow. And there was no servicing either, just a pair of wipers. So your question about, you know, is it safe? Yes, because people have been to realise now we've got the data that you can run an EV for three years and it could literally cost you, well, very, very little, yes. hundreds of mm. pounds in, 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 in whole life costs and depreciation. Um, and in terms of battery degradation, this was another thing that people talked about back in 2009, 2010, you're going to need a new battery after, after 5,000 miles or whatever. We haven't seen that battery degradation. If we had, boy, would we know about it? Because yeah. the anti-EV mob would be out with megaphones. And you would see all these scrap EVs all over the place. We haven't. And there are Teslas running around with 400,000 miles on their battery packs. Really? And Nissan wow. Leafs with 300,000 yes. miles. You see, and this oh. is really important to point out, Quentin, because people, people liken it to their mobile phones. Yeah. Yes, that's because, right. Which we do see the battery go down. We just do. After yeah. a certain amount of use, the battery does get weaker. That is a fact. We've all experienced it, if we use our phones as, as much as I do, at least. <laughs> but it is not the same with these no. whopping great massive batteries yeah. that sit in the skateboard of your, of your EV, is it? And, and you've got to ask yourself a question. If this was as widespread as people are trying to say it is, it would be all over the media. We would have completely discredited electric cars. But the data we have after 10 years and what millions and millions of miles is that they are lasting. They are not mm. degrading. You know, some of the very early, you know, gee whizzes and things like that, maybe. But, you know, they could be refitted with other ones. But the, your, your Teslas, your Leafs, um, your, your, your Ionics, uh, they're, they're all lasting really, really well and longer than we ever thought possible. And even the boffins and the scientists I talked to at the Warwick, Warwick University say that battery degradation is surprising us in, in terms that there isn't any. And you've just used the magic words, Quentin. Everyone should own a G-Wiz simply because it's called G-Wiz. <laughs> I mean, no. I love that. That was, as one of the earliest electric vehicles out there, they had freedom to call it whatever they wanted. Yeah, yeah. And they, they went with... The G- <laughs> Notting Hill was Look, it was a hateful, them. miserable, <laughs> ugly little thing, but now has a kind of kudos as being the early adopter, the yes. car that started it all. And yeah, yeah. when they write the history, which I'm quite sure they will soon of EVs, the G-Wiz has a place. Yes. Mm. Amazing. Yes. It's terrific. Um, but Quentin, I've got to ask you, you're one of the most creative men I know. If a brand came to you with a complete blank page, Quentin, we've designed the ultimate EV, <laughs> you have to name it. What is, what is Quentin Wilson's ultimately named electric vehicle? Spot, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I mean, it is. Excalibur? I don't know. <laughs> See, straight nice. away, straight yeah. away with Excalibur. Oh, I don't know, but here's no, a name. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that, that's really fun. I mean doing all that stuff and, and how they come to some of the names they yeah. do. What's that Renault one, the Captur? Yeah. I mean, yeah. who thought that up? Yeah, that's... You know, which I- I- imbecile in a lukewarm bath? <laughs> <laughs> the Captur. I mean, what is that? But, I mean, yes, but, but I've had many a conversation with people at Jaguar Land Rover about the I-Pace when it was a slam dunk I-Pace, for an E-Pace. pace S-Pace, E-Pace. It's yeah. so confusing. Yeah. I mean, what? You know? That was, that was so easy. It was before it was the so E-Pace easy. came out. It? Just call it the E-Pace. E-Pace yeah. yeah, and not Surely. confuse people. Yeah. But look, it's not a phone. Yeah. Anyway. What do we know? Um, but some car names, I mean, we could have a, an entire podcast about this, uh, that they are insane. And the, the reason a lot of OEMs say to me is that they've used up all the potential car names. 
Right. That you, mm. There are no more. But we've just come up with this Excalibur. What you know? Let's let's. You let's, did. Let's you take the credit it. where it's due. <laughs> let's get it Quentin. done now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, look, Quentin. Thank you so much for for joining us. We doorstepped you literally, but you've you've look. No, you're an absolute, absolute pleasure. And it's great that you're here, guys. Um, and and you know, it, it it's great that Caffeine in Machine is here, and we're all so lucky. And it's a lovely sunny day. And let's be positive after all this 2021 gloom. Come on. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it. And I'm, I'm so pleased we have flown the flag for electric vehicles as well, because we don't do that often enough on this show. Yeah. We, we all love ICE engines, of course, but there's very much a place and it is the future. All I say to people is just look at both sides of the story. Don't listen to this rabid hatred for, for electric cars. Um, and, and I'm a guy who spent the larger part of his broadcasting career telling people to buy big thumpy V8 engine cars uh, and classics. And here am I saying, look, that Tesla Model 3 performance is insane fun. Yeah. 3.1 yeah. to 60. You know, what's not to love? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it might not have the noise, but my goodness, I can, I can have a nice, nice, nice drive in that car. So look, just drive one, because most of this stuff comes from people who have never driven one, who have never charged one, who have never owned one. So just... Do your own research, do your own due diligence and make your mind up and don't listen to all the doubters. So that was Quentin Wilson. What a guy. What a guy and what a voice. Like he's, he is, he's one of these motoring people. One of these people in the motoring industry where you just, you just recognise that voice, don't you? It's very, very, uh, very, very significant. Now the next one is going to be Robert Llewellyn and he joins us again. A bit of an EV theme here non-intentional. So let's hear from Robert Llewellyn. This was an interview that Andy conducted a few weeks back. And then following the conversation with Robert Llewellyn and Andy Jay, you will hear a little sting and you will hear a very typical ending, which coincidentally comes from the same show as the one we recorded with Quentin Wilson. And that is going to be part three of our radio show, uh, a very, very typical ending to the show. And that is, of course, with myself, John Markart, with Andy J, Amy Shaw, and the fabulous fourth member of the radio team, the legend that is Mike Brewer. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Welcome back to Driven Chat here on Talk Radio. I'm Andy Jay and I'm thrilled to welcome our special guest for the show. Now, many of you will know him as, well, a robot from an incredibly famous TV series. He was, of course, Crichton from Red Dwarf. However, those of you who love your cars, and that, I guess, is most of you, thank you for listening, will know him as the founder of the fully charged phenomenon. He's electric, or he's, <laughs> he's at least carbon neutral. It's Robert Llewellyn. How are you doing, Robert? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. And I wish I was carbon neutral, but I've got a few air miles that I keep discreetly hidden. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's there's not quite as much you can do about that. There was, I mean, we saw Greta a few years ago, you know, doing the sailing thing. But yeah, you're a busy man, yeah. Robert. You can't always just jump in a boat for no, no, you can can't. You? But I mean, it is no, it is. Uh, I think uh, you know, I think the, the for a, a man of my age, I'm about 65 years old, to be uh, you know told off by a 16 year old who is essentially right. You know, you might, you may find her annoying or whatever else reaction you have to her, but what she's saying is right. And she doesn't be, she doesn't get, say something and then fly around the world in a private jet, you know, which is refreshing. I think, you know, cause there's one or two very well-known people who might be saying all the right things, but then they do fly around the world in a private jet quite happily. So, you know, I think it's a good, it's a good, it's a good challenge to have. Yeah, yes, yes. Is it? But and it's, it's an interesting one because, of course, you have found yourself. I, w- I want to kind of take us back to the start in a moment, Robert. But but while we're on EVs and, and we're going to have a big chat about EVs, let's be fair. You have found yourself in this position that I imagine even sort of five or six years ago you you perhaps weren't expecting, which is you've no. almost become sort of the prince of EV, the the champion <laughs> of electric vehicles. You're it's a, a terrifying prospect. <laughs> yes, but you're. I mean, it has been a really extraordinary. Well, I started fully charged uh, eleven years ago. Uh, with the thought that it was a kind of passion project. I, uh, you know, I spent quite a lot of time in California before that, and I'd seen the, the emergence of battery electric vehicles, and I'd driven some, and I'd gone, this is really interesting. You know, and I was, I don't think I was, you could call me a petrol head before, but I certainly appreciated cars, and I was into them, and I had silly, you know, slight, you know, performance cars, petrol ones, but it never really occurred to me, like, where the petrol comes from, the real damage it does. You kind of know it was, toxic but i didn't really think about it you know like anyone i moaned about the cost of buying petrol that was about it really mm. uh, uh but you know that was it and, and electric vehicles really were a challenge to that and i had to kind of 
you know, either reject them out of hand or go, well, hang on a minute, there's something here. And so I had an electric car in 2009 for a year uh, as part of a government program. And it was amazing. You know, I went, well, this is much better. <laughs> you know, and this was, by today's standards, an absolutely rubbish electric car. I mean, it could just about do 70, 75 miles in the summer, 60 in the winter. You know, if you turn the heater on, it reduced the, you know, all those old yes. things. Don't use know. the radio. Yeah, all Don't that. Don't use yeah. the radio. Oh, my God, you couldn't have the radio on. Oh, <laughs> heavens above. <laughs> but, you know, but I still used it a hell of a lot. I think I did 14,500 miles that first year I had it, and it never went wrong. I plugged it into a domestic socket, a three-pin socket, and that was all there was. There was nowhere to charge it then. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. nowhere. So it was restricted where I could go. But I did some crazy long journeys. In one case, asked a farmer if I could plug in into his barn because I just knew it was about 10 miles from where I live. I thought, There's no way I'm getting back up the hill. I need to charge somewhere. You know, so those were sort of early adventures, very, you know, early, uh, early adopter, i.e. stupid. But the, what's happened in that 10-year period is truly remarkable. What we're seeing happening around the world now, the shift in not only in the cars, but in the, the uh, public consciousness, the public awareness of them, the public acceptance of them has, has increased enormously, and the amount of electricity we now generate without burning stuff. So yes. uh, offshore wind being a classic example in this country, phenomenal. But in other places, Australia, solar in Australia has changed their whole energy economy, and in some cases against the best wishes of the government. You know, So this stuff is happening anyway, regardless of, policies you know i think it, w- it will happen anyway yes it's a fascinating emergence isn't it robert i mean like you said 11 years ago you'd never have predicted and and so much has changed not just the very obvious fact and we can't hide from it despite the fact that some people try to that the, the world has got warmer and that climate change is yeah. very very real and very apparent and, and leads the agenda now yeah. which is which is troubling yeah. frankly you know we don't want it yeah. to be. we don't want it to be no. but you know, manufacturers, OEMs and so on have had to pivot and change, have had to change. Because let's be fair, prior to this, we were all told to buy diesel engines because it was cleaner. Yeah. And then manufacturers spent fortunes creating the cleanest diesel engines you can get. And, can and some of them get. really yeah. are very, very impressive compared to original diesel engines. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm oh, not, God, yeah. not comparing them to yeah. electric cars, but nonetheless, you get my point. And yeah. then suddenly it's all flipped on its head again. And now yeah. we know there's this deadline approaching, this nine-year countdown to the yeah. only cars you'll be able to buy new will be electric, which, of course, has yeah. meant we will have to have mass adoption. It has to become the new language. Yeah, yes. And I think, it, I mean, I think it will naturally simply be, and I think this is one of the reasons I'm here today, is that, the, you know, I've heard anecdotally for, for the last, certainly five years, but really increasingly in the last couple of years, the amount of people who, have told me, you know, their neighbor had an electric car, so they tried one and they got one, or their brother had one, or their dad used one, or whatever it is, mm. that that kind of general spread. And this, the, the Lease Plan UK survey that I've worked with Lease Plan on this particular thing, and they has absolutely underlined that, you know, that the fact that a lot of this is because of, you know, your neighbors having an electric car, or members of your family, or people you know at work. And you see them and you go, well, that's nonsense. Electric cars don't work. They told me on the telly. They told me on Top Gear they're rubbish. <laughs> or whatever reason it would be. Yeah. And then you see that someone using an electric car and then six months later they're still using it and they're perfectly all right and they haven't been on the side of the motorway crying because it's run out or all those things that you've been told. They haven't thrown the batteries away. And eventually, that's, that's, so we're at that stage now where a, a huge number of people are seeing Oh, they are a viable alternative. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, so my next car, you know, when I get my next car, new lease, or I'm going to buy a new car, it'll be electric. That is so common now. And, and a lot of the research that Lease Plan have done on this topic really underlines that. It's not, you know, it's not the bloke I met in the car park at the supermarket when I was plugging my car in. You know, it is thousands of people, tens of thousands of people around the country. And you can see it in the sales and the, the new, uh, new car sales, electric cars have gone up hundreds and hundreds of percent in the last two years and diesel and petrol have dropped. You know, And uh, it's still a tiny proportion of the total number of cars on the road are electric. It's still very early days, but it's heading in, uh, it's heading in one very obvious direction and that is a massive increase. Yes, well, I, I'd like to talk about some of the common myths and, and misconceptions with you, if that's all right. Just yeah. even if it seems a little like spoon feeding, I think sometimes it's best yeah. just, just to make it obvious. But I, I must say, regarding this lease plan study, I do love this keeping up with the neighbours thing. You know, because... well, keeping, up with the, keeping up with the Greens, which is always, <laughs> yes. worrying, it's always worrying, because I've always had a problem with the idea that complex technology like a car is green. I mean, I think walking 
in, in an old pair of shoes, that's really green. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> you know that's the thing. So a car, you know, calling a car green is a problem. But I absolutely understand the kind of motivation behind it, and certainly, you know, the, the fact that I have solar panels on my house. I live in a little village in the Cotswolds. The number of solar panels on houses around here since I've had the, I've had them here for about eleven, twelve years, it's really increased because people have seen the, the economics of it. You know, you go, oh, if nothing else, it reduces your electricity bill. Yes, you know, forget everything, all the other advantages of it. It makes you buy less electricity from the grid. Oh, Simple I mean, let's, let's be fair. Any chance to save money, we're going to look into yeah. it, aren't we? I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the next thing, am I wrong on this? I might be making this up, Robert. It might have just been a random lucid dream I've had. But are you right. Are you installing a wind turbine at home? No, I no, would love to. I've made that uh, up. I would love to, <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, yes, I've been, I mean, there's a company that's nearby me that makes, you know, small wind turbines that like a farm could have on. Yeah. I think it would cause a bit of, trouble with my neighbors uh, you know i do live in a rural area but you, you to have a wind turbine that is you the worth the investment it needs to be relatively big and relatively high up yeah and i live on a hill it's windy <laughs> here but you know i'd have to have quite a tall tower for it it would be able to be seen from all over the village i think i'd get a bit of but there's a you know there was a lot of movement in my village to install them up there's three farmers that live around us on the tops of hills these wind turbines are tiny in comparison with the really big ones. We're not talking, you know, massive two, three megawatt turbines. This is a, you know, uh, 15, 20 kilowatt uh, turbine. That would be enough. It would generate enough power for about three or four houses. It's that scale, uh, you know, which we should have everywhere because they are not taller than a tree. They yes. would be really, really a gentle, uh, you know, introduction into our landscape. And we'd get, you know, places like Orkney. You know, if you go to Orkney, everyone's got a wind turbine. I mean, you're just no one unless you've got your own wind turbine in Orkney. And they produce so much electricity, they don't know what to do with all of it. <laughs> That's their, they're in the opposite position. The what? position I think we'll be in in about 50 years' time in this country. What a great In that situation. we've got too much electricity, you know. Do you know, Robert, just thinking about it now, I'd like to see a wind turbine manufacturer combine with one of those LED light show people. Because if they yes. go fast enough... You know, if they're spinning at the right speed, you could program the lights to do all kinds of things. You know, have yes. faces in them, produce messages, and or you know, get the news headlines and stuff. Could be great fun. Um, yeah. So, Robert, let, let's address some of these some of these kind of yeah. pressing questions that people that are stopping them. They're barriers to entries and so on. And I will and I will take a sort of uh, I'll have to take a bit of a, a sort of sitting on the fence view because I, yeah, I, no, absolutely. I mean, as yeah. you know, I've hosted Formula E before and I've I've yeah. done long journeys in EVs, etc. So I'm I'm experienced in this department, but yeah, I'm not like you. I'm not sort of the, the champion by any stretch of the imagination. I'm still a sort of I still love a nice engine. I still love the roar of a V8. I'm you know I am guilty in that sense. So. Yeah guilty as charged but but I'm, I'm not against evs on any level i'm very pro it but there are for me I, i'm still I, I can almost see both sides of the argument the first yeah. one let's can we address some myths now this yeah. one i think I, I think i've seen this wind you up a little bit in the past and i've been right <laughs> with you which is these words self-charging hybrid <laughs> it's a brilliant gag yeah. <laughs> it is such a it's such a genius bit of marketing and, and it worked really effectively it's done it's done great things so let's go back to like the middle of the north early noughties when the prius first appeared on the scene so i was given a lift in one in uh, los angeles that's the first time i ever came across one when i was making scrappy in america and i thought it was a brilliant piece of technology just stunning i couldn't quite understand why it took me a while to understand why and it was due to legislation in by the californian government you know, to re try and reduce the catastrophic levels of air pollution they were experiencing, in particularly in Los Angeles. Mm. Um, and it was a genius bit of work. And at, they absolutely led the field. Toyota were right at the forefront of that. It was an incredibly important car. I had two, or I think I had three Pri-I. Pri don't know what the collective <laughs> term for Priuses is. Priuses. Is. But they were, and they were brilliant cars. And I went from a car that did about 15 to maybe 20 miles to the gallon to a car that did 70. Yeah. And that really was a kind of game-changing experience to do that. And, uh, you know, suddenly we're spending a lot less on petrol. Uh, and, that, and, and that was wonderful. And what they needed to do then was do the next step, which is to go 100% electric, which is what a lot of other car companies did, uh, often pushed in that direction by Tesla, who we can we talk about maybe later on. But, the, but they didn't. And they went for hydrogen fuel cells. They really pushed hydrogen fuel cell cars, which is, I think, a genius piece of technology. And they've made a beautiful car, the Toyota Mirai, fantastic hydrogen fuel cell car. 
just mind-bogglingly expensive mm. and nowhere to fill it. You know, yes. so let's not talk about that right now. But they, so they then decided to push hybrids again. They, they, their, their boss of Toyota is vehemently opposed to battery electric cars. Was they've changed their mind? This is all going to change very soon <laughs> because they do make battery electric cars that they sell by the tens of thousands in China, but we just don't know about them in this country. So they do make them, and they can make them, and apparently they're really good. But we haven't seen them in this country yet. But then they did this marketing to make to tell you that uh, you don't need to plug the car in. It's better than that. It charges itself, which is really, really, it's a lie. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> yes. If you, if you don't put is. petrol in it, if you don't put petrol in it, it don't work. You know, it's as simple as that. Yes. So and I, I have a neighbor. I'm not going to name him because he's lovely and hopefully he won't hear this, but he's a, a bright, intelligent man. He went to one of Britain's leading private schools as a young man <laughs> and really nice guy. Loved one, he's been a wonderful neighbor to us for many years. And he came over really excited because he's going to get one of the self-charging hybrids. And you don't have to plug it in. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. David. Well done. What, you know, how does it work then? He went, it's self-charging. You, don't have to, you never plug it in. I said, well, it doesn't need petrol. And his face dropped. Seriously, I'm not making this up. He went, oh, oh, what? I said, yeah, it's a petrol car. It's a hybrid. But I used to have the Prius. Oh, and he just walked away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he genuinely thought that it was a car that you just get in and drive and you never, never put anything, you know, like, and of course, it takes a second thought to work out that it does break the basic laws of physics that we've all been <laughs> contained by for the last billion years you know how it's so it's so horrible it's such a horrible term and i've it's such a shame because i got on with toyota a lot did a lot of stuff with them i mean i am now persona non grata with them because of my uh, you know annoyance at that at that advertising campaign which they still use i still see posters for you know the new lexus self-judging hybrid but yes, it, it boils my uh, waste product. Right, and right, right, <laughs> rightly so. Rightly so, Robert, because it's not just your neighbour that, that has fallen for it. People think... No. People think that it just sits on the driveway and charges itself up miraculously, yeah. and you don't yeah. need to do anything. But of course, that is that couldn't be further from the truth. No. Yes, no. yes. So my next one, because I, I think it's important just to kind of give the listeners a proper overview on these things. Yeah. So the next one, and this is the the, the range anxiety, the charging infrastructure. Now, yeah. I've I've heard many people say, and I agree with them entirely, that if you're a normal car user, so you're doing whatever it is, 30 miles a day or whatever, yeah. less than that, then a, then an EV is perfect. You charge it yeah. at home. It's everything you need for the whole week's journey. You don't even need yeah. to worry. It's brilliant. Charging will never be an issue for you. You plug it in if you can, if you have a, a, a charger at your home or, or yeah. a roadside one if you live in a flat, whatever. That's fine. That's great. However, there are people like me. Last night I did 400 miles. Uh, you know, there are people like me that do do long journeys regularly. I do, I do at yeah. least three journeys a week of over 400 miles. And for me, there isn't a car on the market right now in a decent price point where I can't. I, I would have to stop. I would have to stop and, and right. refuel. I, I, just, I just have to. I would have to charge up at some point in my journey, even if I've got a 250-mile range car. And the reality yeah. is... You've probably had this as well, and I'm sure you've had many very positive experiences, but I've had many really challenging experiences with the charging infrastructure. Yeah. Waiting time, broken ones, misleading cables, confusing uh, ways to pay. We have a long way to go, in my view, to get the charging right for longer journeys. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think you know, there's nothing you've said there that I would disagree with. I'm slightly concerned for your bladder. So if you do 400, <laughs> 400 miles nonstop, that is roughly, uh, what, six hours driving, is it? I don't know. I'm trying to work it out. Five, fours or 20. No, yeah. So, so I mean, like the average speed, and that's one of the advantages of having lots of computers in your cars. It tells you what your average speed was on a journey. So I drove to Cornwall recently before the holidays to film down there. And my average speed over the whole journey, and my goodness, 90% of that journey was on motorways, was 52 miles an hour. Oh, wow. That is your average speed over that long journey. Well, 52 miles an hour means that 100 miles takes you two hours, so 400 miles takes you six hours. That's a really long time to sit absolutely still, concentrating on one complex task and not standing up and having a wee. Yes. Or drinking fluids. You know, it's dangerous. <laughs> That's so, a completely fair point. And I wasn't, yeah, yes, you're right. I'm not talking about doing it in one hit. However, when you stop for a wee, 
that's a yeah. quick, that's a pit stop. That's not a that's right a now. Stop. I've got Absolutely. to find a place to charge, and then I've got to sit for twenty minutes yeah. or forty minutes or an hour or whatever it might be, hoping yeah. it's available because the app says it's available. And then you get there, and someone's just nipped in beforehand, and you've got to wait yeah. for them forty minutes, and then yeah. you can have a turn. That has been quite a common experience for, for oh, long-haul yeah. EV users. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, so I, as an, just to kind of underline the fact that it is possible, I've driven to Oslo and southern Italy in electric cars, and it was a doddle. But that's a whole other story because that was, you know, I was in a Tesla. There is a Tesla supercharging network that is very, very reliable. 99.9% mm. it will work, and 95% there will be a slot for you to just plug in and do it. And it's very simple to do. You plug your car in, it starts charging, you don't do anything else. That is an unfair advantage that that particular brand has. I, I, other than that, I totally, totally accept. I have been a screaming, ranting fury monster of chargers <laughs> that I've arrived at at night and they don't work and there's no one on the phone to help yeah. me and it's just the most <laughs> infuriating thing. You know, and that, and that what, what is good is that experience is diminishing. And the simple fact of the matter is if this isn't resolved, by 2030, if it isn't as easy for you to drive 400 miles in an electric car as it now is in a fossil burning car, then buy a diesel. That's what I'm going to do. If there isn't the charging infrastructure, I'm buying the dirtiest secondhand diesel car I can. <laughs> I'm just going to sit outside schools revving it, you know, because it just doesn't work. So the whole point is, you know, the, 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 only, the only reason I, I'm optimistic about this is because of the last 10 years experience. So 10 years ago, there was one, literally one rapid charger on the mainland UK, and that was at, at the Mitsubishi uh, offices in Sirencester because they introduced the Mitsubishi iMeve and they put in a rapid charger, and the, the instructions were in Japanese, and it was constantly breaking down. <laughs> so no one knew how to fix it, and it was an absolute nightmare, but I did manage to use it successfully twice, sort of for the, for the bants, you know, it was pointless <laughs> doing it. Yeah. I drove all the way there to charge the car, and then I drove all the way back, and I went, why did I do that? That's so stupid. But, uh, but, and there's now, I think there's now something like 17,000 of those across the country. And there's got to be 100,000 of those across yeah. the country. So when you pull in at motorway services, and it is happening in places, rugby services is a very good example. You go in there and there's like 32 charges in a row at one end of the car park. And they, you know, one of them, and they work really easily. And you drive up, eventually you will be at, this is with any car, this is not Tesla's, any car. Once you've set up your account with them, you literally walk up, you drive up to the thing, you get out of the car, you plug the car in, you walk away. It will start charging. No cards, no membership, no faffing about with apps, nothing. It just recognizes the car. You pay for the electricity, but you pay through an account that's connected to the car. That has got to be the norm. Yes, It's got to be easier to charge an electric car than it is to pull off the motorway in the rain and stand holding a hose that's pumping a toxic carcinogenic fluid that's highly explosive into a tank. You know, that's, that's hard and smelly and dangerous and dirty and wasteful and expensive. I want it to be easier and cheaper and then people will change. So it has to change and yes. that infrastructure has to go in and the back, the background of that infrastructure, you know, the, 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 the grid infrastructure to support it has to go. Well, it is now that is happening now and has been happening for the last five years that that's being strengthened. And there are things like batteries. So there's some really good examples of large charging hubs, with 30, 40, 50 rapid chargers, and they have massive batteries behind the fence, you wouldn't even notice them, that act as a buffer between the grid and the chargers. So you get the maximum power you can for all that charger, so it charges the car as fast as it is possible to charge. All those things are increasing. I mean, that, the first electric cars I drove, you know, it did take 45, 50 minutes to get it up to something worth bothering with on a charger. Now it's, you're looking at 15, 10, 15 minutes as a couple of hundred miles range mm. on the top end cars, on the top end chargers. And that's going to become more and more common. So that stuff will happen. If we had to, if, if you couldn't buy, if that law, the 2030 law came in today, we're doomed. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. not ready, but we've got nine years to prepare for that. And that, you know, I think there's economic reasons now while big investment companies and you know, hedge funds and that are investing in companies that make batteries, that make chargers, that put in charging infrastructure, you know, because they can see the, that's the future. And the petrol companies are doing the same. And Shell is installing a, an electric-only garage, if you like, filling station in South London at the moment. And they're not, um, they won't sell petrol. They used to sell petrol on this site. They will not sell petrol. It will only be electricity. 
And that's going to we're going to be seeing that more and more. Yes, and when we see that cropping up, that will change hugely, change the mindset of, of doubters as well, which I which I think is yeah. really really helpful. Another question that I've had asked to me regularly, Robert, and I imagine you get this a lot is somebody was hesitant about buying an EV because they feel that even though right now it's clearly cheaper running costs-wise for electricity, they're worried that when everyone's driving an electric car, it's just going to change. It'll be the same price as petrol and diesel to to use electricity in your car again. And I imagine prices will rise, but I I would hope and doubt that it would be to that level. Yeah, I mean, I think, okay, so I think there's no question that somehow the, our government will, whoever it is, will have to raise revenue from the fact that we're all using electric cars. Because at the moment, you you don't. But I've talked to plenty of people in government about this. They they absolutely accept they can't tax electricity in the same way they can tax fuel. Yeah, it, it can because we use electricity for so many different things. It's so difficult to separate. Oh well, look, that bit of your electricity bill was for your car. And those electrons went into your kettle. Yes. So, you know, so that, but it, what they will do is because, you know, all modern cars, and this isn't just electric cars, all modern cars are connected, if you like. They are like our phones, they're connected. So you will be charged per mile, which in many ways is much a much fairer way of doing it. And the proposals I've seen, that it, this is in government white papers, are that you would, you know, at the first five or first 10,000 miles of driving in, in a year would be free. And then you'd pay on top of that. So that means that people on low incomes who don't drive very often or only use cars irregularly won't be penalised. And people who do enormous miles, <laughs> someone like you, for instance, for instance yeah. will pay more. <laughs> you know, and that's only fair to, to, to maintain the upkeep of the, the road network. Um, so that's got to happen. So, yes, electric cars won't be as cheap as they are now, I guess, in the future. That is absolutely, you know, you can guarantee that how it will actually happen is very hard to tell but i think the important caveat to that is the, the the efficiency of an electric vehicle is the really key thing here so if you put a pound's worth of fossil fuel into a combustion car literally this is no exaggeration and the manufacturers would get would back this up 75 pence of that pound is wasted mm. is wasted as heat basically as heat you know it just it just doesn't make you move along 25 pence of that pound moves you along the road the rest is wasted because there's so many peripherals strapped to modern petrol and diesel engines to to make them acceptable that it saps a huge amount of energy an electric car at the absolute worst the worst one is about 80% efficient so so you put in a pound of electricity into that car and 80 pence of it moves you along the road so you know, and and there are cars where it's in the in the low nineties, you know, where they're ninety over ninety two percent efficient. So that makes a huge difference. Yes. They are more efficient. So we will, as a nation, will use less energy to do what we're doing now, and that's a really critically important part of the whole. Uh, you know, change that we're seeing. Goodness me, Robert, I called you the Prince of EVs at the start, and, and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm so glad I did because you've backed up my uh, my title with a plum. Although I, I think I prefer Duke. Would you like to be the Duke, Duke. of EVs? I am the Duke of EVs. <laughs> it's got quite a ring to it, hasn't it? And of course, I mean, I know we're tight on time, but you know, you have another... You. I've, I've sort of touched on Fully Charged, which is, you can find it on YouTube. Millions yeah. of people have. There was a podcast for quite a long time. And, of course, there are these big live events, of which there is one in just a few days. Fully Charged Outdoors. Outdoors, yes, at Farnham International. No, we're, we're Farn- Farnham International. It's a different place. That's a small barn in the back of the field. <laughs> I was going to no, say, hang Farn- on. It's Farnborough, yes. isn't it? Yes. Farnborough, Farnborough International. Uh, yes, on the 3rd, 4th and 5th of September. No, we're really looking forward to it. Some uh, really genuinely exciting things on display there. A couple of cars that have never been seen before, uh, you know, commercially available cars, never been seen before in the in, in Europe are going to be unveiled there. So we're very Ooh. privileged to have that. Well All sorts of stuff. Lot, stuff about electric flight, stuff about ships, trucks, vans, boats, bikes. Oh, it's all there and lots of really amazing people uh, doing presentations and talks and panel discussions. No, it's it's very exciting. Oh, well, to be we'll involved have to come with. down. We'll have to come down and check it out. I think I think you should. Yeah, yeah. tickets tickets are available. I think the Saturday is close to being sold out, but the rest of the time there's plenty plenty of tickets available. Amazing. Well, I I know the boss. I've got his phone number. Do you reckon he you know he'd want a radio yeah, show give, there? Give him a call. I'm <laughs> sure he would. <laughs> Robert, what a joy. Thank you so much for your company. I've really Thank enjoyed you. it. I've really enjoyed it. And I, I, and I, actually, I'm, I'm serious. We should come and be part of 
fully charged outdoors. We should come and check it out. It sounds great. You should do. Absolutely. No, the more the, more the merrier. No, please do. No, there's a lot going on there. It's really worth a visit. Brilliant. Good luck with it. I hope it's a fantastic success. Thanks very much indeed. If I see you there, I will wave. You'll be swamped yeah. with selfies and photographs, so I won't try and steal yeah. you for any time, but I will, I will wave. <laughs> very good. That's great stuff. I'll wave back. I'll make sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Take, have a great day. Go and get that cup of tea oh. while you can. All right. Thanks very much. Smash Thanks you. a lot. Take care, Robert. Okay. See you. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye. Bye. Welcome back to Driven Chat here on Talk Radio. Well, we've heard from James May, and I'm very pleased to say from one legend to another. Joining us once again is the marvellous Mike Brewer. How are you doing, Mike? I'm all right. Yeah, not bad at all. It's great to hear from James and Quinton. It was yes, lovely. Yes, it is. And, of course, Amy Shaw, she's arrived Hello. now. Hello, Amy. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> you, missed, you missed the earlier magic, but you're here for the main event. I'm now, such missed. Now, Mike, one of my favourite James May facts is that one of the very first shows he did, one of his first shows in television, was called Driven yeah. with Mike Brewer. It was, yes. He'd come to work with me on Driven. Me, uh, James May, and Peter Stevens, a legendary car designer. And um, James actually didn't, didn't fare too well with the audience, uh, believe it or not. So he was gone after the first season. Uh, but we had such a laugh, me and James. We really did. We travelled around the country, if not all over Europe together. Um, and we just had a giggle from start, middle and finish. I just remember laughing all the time we was together. And um, we remain friends, still to this day we remain friends. And uh, I remember uh, teaching James how to fly a radio-controlled aeroplane, <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> uh, which was, you know, a nice little one. Because he would love that. He loved well. it. He absolutely yeah. loved it. He picked it up like a duck to water. He picked it up immediately and then uh, he would ring me or text me a few months after and go, I've broken a plane, and what do I do? And I just go, come buy another one. <laughs> you're doing, you're doing have, Top Gear these days, James. You've got some Top Gear money, yeah. yeah. money, you can go and do it. Okay, was, Mike, I've got aboard a plane. I can actually sit in this one and fly it myself. Yeah. Um, it's called a Concorde. Yes. It was yeah. driven yeah. on a Thursday night. It was on a Thursday night on Channel 4. It was Channel 4's biggest factual television programme in their history. I after, remember watching it. After my previous show, Deals and Wheels, which was their highest rated show ever up until that point. And um, we, we, it was just brilliant. You know, the, the show morphed from uh, me, Jason Barlow, uh, Peter Stevens, James May, into me, Jason Barlow, Penny Mallory, and ah, then yes. uh, me, Jason Plato, Penny Mallory. Yes, I forgot. Being, you, you being that I was the common denominator in all of it. It was me. Yeah. Uh, but we, we had four fabulous years of creating a show that actually at the time successfully sort of knocked Top Gear off the air. That was the Top Gear that was Kate Humble and, bless him, Quinton. Uh, and that series wasn't wasn't really what the audience wanted, uh, the Top Gear series. Uh, and we ended up making Driven. And tell me if this sounds rather familiar to you. It was on an airfield where we had our own test mm-hmm. track. We had a live studio audience and we would road test some cars on the track I mean, it sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a really good idea for a TV that, yeah. show, doesn't it? I think and, that would work, uh, yeah, that like would on work. one of their mainstream and that, if channels. If you look at the last, uh, the last series of last two series of Driven, that's what it was. It, it ended uh-huh. up being effectively what then Driven stopped and Top Gear picked up the baton. It came back with uh, with Clarkson having a May, of which I turned down. So um, there you go. That's wow. the bit. Did of history. you? Well, I I. <clears throat> I went along for the screen test and uh, was begged to do the job. Me and Jeremy, me and Jeremy were going to do another thing as well. We were going to drive his 355 Ferrari across Italy. And I said uh, to Andy Wilman, I said, we would kill each other by the time we got to Dover. <laughs> so it would make great telly. It would make great telly. I said, that's not going to work. It would. Uh, so I went and screen tested for Top Gear twice. And uh, on both occasions, they Andy Wilman and Gary Hunter, I think his name was, sat me down and said, you got to do the show. You know, we got to do it. But um, it's really weird because there was a bit of a break on Wheeler Dealers for one year. And I sort of done two seasons of Wheeler Dealers. Then there was a sort of break for a year. And uh, I was still sort of on an option with Channel 4. Uh, sorry, with Discovery Channel. So I'm like, um, well, I'm not too sure because I'm still on this option. Plus... Top Gear of old wasn't very good. No. You know, mm. at that point, it wasn't very good. And I was waiting for something else. You know, I was waiting for, for um, uh, Wheeler Dealers to come back, really. Yeah. And then um, they begged me to do it. And during that period of time, unfortunately, Discovery Channel triggered Wheeler Dealers again. 
So I remember sitting in a pub in Hammersmith, and I hope Andy Wilman remembers this as well as I do, and him saying, well, if it's not you thumping the table, who is it? And I'd just been on the Renault Scenic RX4 launch in Morocco with a uh, Renault press officer, goes by the name of Richard Hammond. (laughs) So I said, well, actually, I've been with Richard Hammond, who screen tested uh, Ford Driven. He'd screen tested twice and didn't get through the screen test uh, procedure for Jason Plato's job Uh, before Jason got it. And I said, um, why don't you give Richard Hammond? He's really good fun. We just went away together. We're, you know, we're good mates. And uh, they said, we've never heard of him. And I said, well, <laughs> give him a try. And I spoke to Richard and said, look, you know, I've lined you up this um, screen test. He was very nervous about it. But I told him what to do. It's quite funny. Uh, Clarkson, they had a Renault Aventime. And Clarkson would walk into this white room with this Renault Aventime and absolutely lambast it. And I walked in and cheered it. And you was told to just give your opinion. And I cheered it. I thought it was great. I thought it was very clever. Clarkson thought it was a conservatory on wheels and it was pointless and said he got two doors. Yes, it's a family car and all of that nonsense. So um, ultimately, that's what I told Richard. That's what's going to happen. And I think Richard formed an opinion around that. It was quite clever and uh, landed the job, of which he's conveniently forgotten that I got him it. <laughs> Blimey. Blimey. That's... Well, you can tell Richard that. What Here, a remember, story that is. He does is. remember. What a story. And it just kind of makes me think of the, the icons of automotive broadcasting. And it, I mean, if, in this show alone, if we could put the three of you together, if we could have Quentin Wilson, James May and Mike Brewer, what a TV it show would that be would strong. be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be a great show. show. And, um, you know, I've worked with Quentin professionally. I actually uh, um, had a production company and we used Quentin on quite a few of our productions. And he was just such a diamond to work with. I mean, the yeah. guy is as sharp as a button. He's, he's so cool to work with. He absolutely knows his car, his car content. And um, I love working with him. And actually, at that time, I was paying him. So I was his producer and, and telling him what to do. <laughs> and uh, and it kind of weird because I sort of grew up admiring Quinton. And there I am saying, Quinton, I need you to do this piece to camera. And I need you to say that. And he go, yep, absolutely, Mike. I think you're saying it the right way. I'll do it that way. And and he was absolutely brilliant to work with. I've got a lot of respect for Quinton. I think he's amazing. And I owe a lot of my career to, you know, people like him who... who encouraged me to talk about used cars on the TV. Well, if we're going to go full circle, the reason I asked if Driven was on on the Thursday night is because I can remember watching it. And I, I'm i sorry to say, I think I was probably about nine or ten years oh, old. John. <laughs> and look at us now. Look at us now. A fat old and grey. That so hands. wasn't called for, was no, it? No, well, a mark our interjection reminding <laughs> us of his youth. Okay, you know what? It reminds you how old you are when uh, people just come up to you constantly going, my dad loves your show, my granddad <laughs> yeah, loves your show. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, Can I get a picture for my grand? <laughs> exactly. And I remember being on car launches uh, with James May. We would go on car launches together all over the world and and we'd snigger, me and James. We'd be in the bar in the evening or we'd be on the aeroplane, we're ready to go on a car launch and we'd snigger and go, look at the old gits over there. Look at those old gits, the, you know, the Lord Strathcarrens and whatever of the of the press journalist core. And now we are the old gits. It's kind of funny. And there's these young upstarts coming through looking at us going, look at those old gits. I was trying to work out what a great name for a TV show. Old Gits. Well, we, We're the Old Gits is pretty good, to be fair. Yeah, it's a great one. Brewer, May and Wilson, we're the Old Gits. Not that I'm saying you are, Mike, that's your We phase. could. I think we should bring back Woolardin as well. I think Woolardin is a thing that needs to be back on TV. And I looked up uh, some Woolardin the other day and it was legendary. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, audience, it's where you present whilst putting a foot on the top of a tyre. Oh, the lunge. So the, <laughs> the lunge. So he's called William Woolard, who invented such presenting style. Uh, oh, he would it. put his foot on the top of a f- uh, front wheel and go, this is the Ford Escort XR3. What a car. Look at the lines and so with his leg on top of the wheel. And Woolardin was such a wonderful thing to, to see. Um, and I think we should bring it back. I'd like to see some Woolardin. Amy, as a photographer, is, is the Woolard stance a, a good one for you to be capturing? Or is I- it a little bit past its time now. It depends on who's doing the woolarding, I think. It's um And what they their, their <laughs> choice of trouser wear is as well. Yes, I think. I think if we were in some form of I don't know 
yoga pants and you didn't have a body like I don't know David Gandhi for example then maybe let's avoid it just you know just I'm just thinking about you know the general thought of art and whatever <laughs> but um I think it could work I think Mike if you were I'll bring know, it back Amy just you for you I'll bring back Woolardin just for you <laughs> that would be <laughs> amazing if I can get away with it Check out the Driven Chat Instagram account to see if Mike has successfully we woolarded. We will woolard in the car park <laughs> when we finish. Let's do it. Let's we, do that. I mean, there's enough cars to choose yes. from. Um, John, I, I seem to see a, an extraordinary number of 911s that have, have, have descended. I mean, genuinely, I think there's more than 200 now. Uh, could that be right? It could be it, right. It could be. We could certainly fit them here at Caffeine and Machine. Yes, there's definitely some sort of Porsche Club event happening this evening and not just 911s but I've seen more GT3s collectively you only usually yeah. see this many GT3s in the Nürburgring car park and yet they all seem to be here today which is pretty yeah. special and, and like an idiot I turned up in the 1959 MGA because I didn't <laughs> look on the internet it was it was Porsche night otherwise yeah. I would have driven my uh, my car here well, there's always next week. There's always right? next week. <laughs> there's always yeah. next week. When I turn up, and as John said to me outside, but you'll turn up next week, it'll be MG night. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Oh, what a tough life. <laughs> so, so, look, guys, this is the Ask Mike section. Yeah. And we haven't asked him anything. I We're know. 10 minutes in. <laughs> and we've only got a little bit of time left in the show. So, John, quick, fire. Right, I'll fire one in. I don't know. This might be a long answer. It might not be. So, we've, we've heard this, this week in the news that the second-hand car market has been bigger. Uh, it's been flourishing more than ever. Um, and the question that comes in from a, a friend of ours called Will says, in this past month, why has the second-hand car market gone through the roof, yet affordable classics seem to have gone down? Uh, um, well, there's a really good reason for that, and it's supply and demand. For um, uh, good used car stock, there's a massive shortage of stock, and that's due to not a lot of new cars are filtering down because not a lot of new cars are being made. Mm. Uh, one, because of the pandemic. Uh, so lots of people are laid off of their factories. Two, there's a shortage of computer chips. Mm. So there's a shortage of new car stock. And that means that the usual used car stock isn't filtering down into into used cars. And we at Mike Brewer Motors, we're paying currently over retail for some cars just so we've got them on the website and in wow. stock. And uh, there's a massive shortage. It, re it really is dramatic at the moment. And that is having the effect on prices. So it's driving prices up. Mm -hmm. And uh, prices are continuing to rise as we speak at the moment. And I gather that bubble won't burst until probably three or four months' time, until we start to see the uh, mainstream factories starting to get on top of the pandemic, mm. basically delete the app. And uh, then start all going back to work, and then cars yeah. start to filter down, and it will the, the market will level itself. In terms of the everyman classic uh, starting to just level off in terms of price, uh, again, it's because of overstock. Um, uh, it's the opposite. We've got overstock, and that's because during the pandemic, we've had lots of people have this lovely furlough money, turn to their garage, yes. go down the bottom of this garden, open the garage doors, and finish their classic. Yeah. And they finished it, and they flooded the market. And now there's an overabundance of good everyman stock out there, so that's just leveled the prices, and they've slightly toweled off. So what right. is a good everyman classic to be picking up right now? Right now, um, well, fast forwards, remarkably, is still going up in price. The Porsche world, where we're surrounded tonight, Caffeine the Machine, uh, it, they're still sort of going up in price. They have leveled off ever so slightly, but still the, the nicer sought-after cars are still going up in price. Uh, smart money is where um, it's the Japanese domestic market. That's the JDM market. So uh, Datsun 280s, Datsun 240s, uh, that's some five tens. If you can find anything around that, you know, sort of eighties, nineties, even early two thousands. You know, Mitsubishi GTOs, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's where the smart money is. Fun, silly, loud. Yeah, yeah loud and brash. And yeah, happy very days. reliable. Yeah, most yes. of the time as well. uh, but don't try to buy a uh, don't try to buy anything like a, a, a Mitsubishi Evo ten Tommy Mackinnon edition, which I could have bought you what three years ago for. 40 grand. One sold last weekend at Silverstone Auctions for £146,000 wow. for an Evo 10 Mackinac edition. Yeah. So it goes to show the oddball, one-of-a-kind, special edition models are still fetching stupid, crazy money. I mean, that just... You know who paid that, don't you? No. Driven Chat's own Amy Shaw. <laughs> that, that is it. You'll see it next week. <laughs> I can't wait to see it next week, Amy. Amy does look like she comes from very fine stock, so it wouldn't uh, well, it wouldn't be a surprise. It's all a veil of illusion. It turned you. up. It, it's a veil of illusion. <laughs> but Mike, come and look at my Mackinac edition. 
<laughs> one in white and one in red. <laughs> Take your pick. So you've been listening to Driven Chat here on Talk Radio. My thanks to everyone in this room. Is that it? One question. That's it. Oh. I'm afraid it's all we've got time for. We, we had to shoehorn that question in as well. Um, but my thanks to Mike, to Amy, to John, and of course earlier on to Quentin and James May. We will be back same time, same place from the Driven Chat truck here at Caffeine and Machine. And next week, our special guest is Ricky Wilson from the Kaiser Chiefs. We'll see you then. Have a great week. Drive safe. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed that. And if you think, hey, do you know what? I could get into that. Then I remind you, it's Sundays, 7 p.m. on Talk Radio. That is when our radio show goes out. And if you're listening from elsewhere in the world, then you can tune in via the Talk Radio website. Just give that a little Google or whichever search engine you prefer. And uh, yeah, work out your time difference versus 7 p.m. here in the UK. And you'll be able to listen along live or for the following week, you'll be able to catch up with the Listen Again feature. Thank you so much for lending us your ears once again for this little bonus episode. And we will be back with you next week with not one, but two episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Goodbye. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com.